Welcome to Between the Trees, a podcast with me, Dean Morris. You're a what? This is a question I often get asked um, as I meet new people around town, at a party, you know, at, at our run crew or a cycle club that I'm at. Um, you know, the inevitable, you kind of get to know each other. It's like the icebreaker question. Like, so what do you do for work? And I would say like most often the response I get is you're a you're a what? And the response kind of comes in two two ways. You know, people are either like, "I man, you're a you're a what?" Like, I don't know even what that is. What that's about? What do you do? What's your work in the world? Um, what does that even mean? Or uh, contrary to that, people do have an understanding. They do have a knowledge or an experience uh, of what it is that I do. But for some reason. I don't fit their mold. So they're like, but you're, you wait, you're a what? Because it doesn't match. You know, the, the words, the image doesn't match uh, what, what they have in their mind. Okay, so what is it that I do? What is my title, my role, my vocation, or my work in the world, you might ask? Well, I'm a pastor. I lead a church. I uh, started it about a year and a half ago. Uh, it's called Reunion. And we are a group of friends getting together to discover what it means to follow Jesus together and as individuals. Um, often when I tell people that they, they want to know more, they're intrigued because they don't really know what that means or what that is. Um, or they, they have an experience of what a pastor ought to be or, or their picture of what a pastor should look like. And I don't necessarily fit that mold. Or thirdly, it's like the, the conversation killer, you know, like at a house party, you're standing there and someone introduces you and say, Oh, Hey, what's up? I'm Dean. And yeah, cool. What do you do? Oh, I'm a you know electrical engineer. Oh, oh, that's awesome. So you blah 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 blah, right? And whatever an electrical engineer does, and then it circles back around, and it's their turn, and they're like, oh yeah, doing the polite society game. Like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And it it either is like, oh neat, tell me more, or it's like, oh cool. And then it's like, I I'm gonna go check on the appetizers because um, those seem more interesting than you. <laughs> or maybe safer. <laughs> That's probably what it is. Um, anyway, yeah, you're a what is often a question I get. Actually, there's this funny story. I uh, I received something in the mail from, uh, I, I guess the, it's like a, a denomination. It's like a, a bigger kind of network family that, uh, that our, our little church belongs to. They sent me something in the mail. And so on the title or on the, um, the package, it was addressed to pastor Dean. And 
I, I mean, nobody calls me that except for my friend Zach, who, <laughs> who I think does so just out of more uh, a, a joke than anything. Uh, anyway, um, the, the person at the mail counter looked at the package and then looked at me and looked at the package and looked at me and, and handed it across the counter after checking my ID and all of the things that he needed to do. And he's like, you're, you're a pastor? I'm like, yeah, yeah, if you can believe it. He goes, man, you don't look anything like the pastors that I used to have. So there's this interesting kind of, you know, appeal that uh, a, a young, a youngish person who's just, you know, whatever dressed kind of normally and is out in the world um, would be a pastor. I don't have this special robe or collar, which is no knock to the people who wear those, but that's just not my tradition. Um, but there's this curiosity that is peaked in people, mostly. Like I said, there are people who kind of turn and run, and, and they probably have very legitimate reasons for that. But most people are, are their curiosity is peaked at least a little to be like, wow, you either, I don't know anything about that, or um, you don't fit the mold of what I have experienced or think a pastor ought to be. And, and I love that because the kind of primary goal of a, of a pastor is, is to become more and more like Jesus, right? We're, we're never there. You never fully arrive. It's like a, it's like a lifelong journey of discovery and learning and, and a whole lot of unlearning. It's a practice really. It's something you have to do daily and regularly to, to continue to lean into this way of being. Um, but when, people kind of respond with like, oh, that doesn't fit the mold of what I think. That just like resonates with me. Um, I didn't grow up in the church. So with like people who have history in the church, I often say like, oh, you have, you have church baggage, man. <laughs> like you, you, these, these things that you carry from your past um, experiences, like that's baggage. I said, I have very different baggage, but I don't have church baggage. I don't have religious baggage. So when I, when I come into this, this tradition and this stream and find myself now as a pastor, like it's kind of bizarre to me. And so when people say, Hey, you don't fit the mold one, it kind of validates my experience. And two, I just, it resonates with me because when I look at, you know, these stories of Jesus, there's, there's kind of there's these four biographies of Jesus' life that are compiled in the Bible. And when I look at the stories of Jesus in these biographies that are kept, um, he didn't fit the mold at all. And in fact, uh, he was so counter the mold um, that the religious people that he came to often didn't know what to do with him and even... Uh, kind of threw him out and they plotted against him and they tested him and tried to trick him and trap him and get him to say all these things that they thought they could, you know, then later used to expose him as like a phony or something like this, but they, they he didn't fit the mold. And, and quite honestly, um, he was persecuted for it and eventually executed, uh, for not conforming and for staying strong in his convictions and standing against the forms and functions and systems of power, of politic and of religion uh, of his day and, and kind of naming and pointing those things as like false powers. 
Um, but ultimately, it cost him his life. So much so that uh, it, he, he went so willingly to his own execution, uh, really kind of like in the ultimate badass move of exposing the power, saying like, you think you have the power of life and death, but if I submit myself to you willingly, I, in my vulnerability and in my submission to you, actually am the one still in power. Is absolutely brilliant. I mean, it cost him his life. It's absolutely brilliant move, though, in terms of exposing the, the, the fragility of the perceived power structures of the day and even the ones that are our day. And so I love when people say, you don't fit the mold. Um, or like, that's weird to me that someone like you is a pastor because you seem to be outside, like you're vegan and you do yoga and you know, <laughs> you're like, you, you are this kind of like, I don't know, environmentalist, like interesting character who does all sorts of things. And like, I, I don't see the typical mold of pastor, um, when I look at you and I like that. Um, not just because it's, it makes me seem interesting or cool, but honestly, because ultimately it puts me more in the company of Jesus, which is my daily goal. My daily intention as I wake up is to say more of you, Jesus, and less of me in this world, because as unique and as wonderful as I may think I am, um, truly uh, the best parts of, of Dean are accentuated as I try to become more and more like this character, Jesus. Yeah, I think that's what's uh, really compelling to me and interesting about Jesus is that he was a misfit. Like he didn't fit the mold. He didn't really belong and, and even to his people, his own people, his own hometown, he was... He was like a misfit, um, but he didn't compromise. He had this clear sense of identity and purpose and place in his world. And he, in, in spite of kind of being rejected by his own people, um, not fitting the mold, he, he opted to, to stand outside <laughs> to be on the outside, to be kind of condemned or mocked or, uh, yeah, just, just to be rejected. And I mean, that's a story. Hello. That's a story that I think many of us know, right? This, this self discovery, we, we kind of know who we are to some degree, or we discover who we are and then we share that with people and, you know, maybe we're rejected Maybe we don't fit the mold of the son or the daughter that we, you know, our, our pa parents and extended family thinks we should be. Maybe we don't fit the mold of the, the teacher that our principal, you know, our boss wants us to be. Or, you know, maybe you don't fit the mold of the, you, know, you name it, right? Even, even the most simplest thing, right? Like you, you might find a new way to do something and offer it up to your superiors at work or in the place in the organization where you fit in and you're kind of chastised and your idea and maybe even you is rejected. Like that's a story that we can all connect with. 
not fitting the mold. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, tied to being this religious person, this like me, I'm a pastor. You're a what? Like you don't fit the mold of that in my opinion, in my vision or experience of what that thing should be. You don't fit that. And so we can all experience different degrees of not fitting in, of not fitting the mold. And, and I think that standing firm in who we are is something that's really beautiful. Um, the world wants us to conform and to change and to fall in line and to like punch the clock and, you know, uh, what's, what's the arcade? The, I love the arcade fire. They have that, they have that song. The name is escaping, but the line is, uh, I started singing and they told me to stop, quit these pretentious things and just punch the clock. I mean, come on. That's the thing, right? To just like let go of who you are. Let go of who you were made to be and fit in. Fit the mold. Don't stand outside of the mold. There's this story um, in one of these biographies I mentioned about, about Jesus um, where he goes to his hometown. He, he's in his hometown and even in the like religious place, it's called a synagogue. He goes like, it's like this temple of worship. And so he goes there and he, you know, he's this kind of traveling speaker, spiritual guy, uh, you know, in the, in the realm of, 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 of Judaism. And so he was invited in to speak, even to read from the sacred scriptures, the law, the Torah, they would, they, they handed him this scroll and it was a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he read out this section and he read out this section of the scroll, uh, that was handed to him. And it would have been like, you know, um, man, reading like the, one of the greatest hits, like starting to sing, you know, whatever, like, some, some, like we are the champions by queen. Like, it's just, everybody knows that everybody knows the words. This would have been one of the, the kind of key stories, key scriptures or moments to retell and reread. And what Jesus does is really interesting. So he's in this synagogue, in this temple of worship, reading the sacred scriptures that, you know, most of the people in the room, if not all of them, would have known and probably been like saying along with uh, with them in their mind, right? Tracking, oh yeah, this is the one where it says this. And he reads this, he reads this scripture. He says, um, he stands up in the synagogue and, and I'll just read it to you so you can kind of hear what it's about. He says, uh, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Reading this scripture, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to, to share good news to the poor. I've been sent to proclaim freedom to prisoners and the recovery of sight for those who are blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The storyteller in this, in this biography tells us that after Jesus read that little section, it says, then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The storyteller goes on to say, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. There was this moment, this tension where they were just staring. And, and for us, people who are, you know, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard that little section of, of scripture from, from the book of Isaiah, from the, the scroll of Isaiah that Jesus read from. But for the people in the room, remember, they would have known this, 
this narrative they would have known. And, and what Jesus does is, is he leaves out a crucial, critical line at the very end of the stanza that he read. The line that he leaves out is, and the day of vengeance of our Lord. The day of, I mean, sounds, sounds kind of rough, right? The day of vengeance of our Lord. So he reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord. But he leaves that last part out on purpose. The dramatic action is he leaves it out. He rolls up the scroll and gives it back to the attendant. Now, this, to give you kind of like an example of, of the weight, to help you understand, this would be like um, singing, I, I don't know, like the national anthem, right? Everybody kind of, there's this collective awareness of, of the national anthem and uh, getting to the very end, but then leaving the last line off. Like the, this, it wouldn't be done. Everybody in the arena would be like, you forgot the last line, right? Oh, Canada, we stand on guard. Like everyone would be like, for the, like you, for, you forgot the part. You forgot the last part. You got to let it finish. You got to let it resolve. And Jesus essentially in not reading this last little sentence and the day of vengeance of our God he is like leaving them hanging on a cliff. He's not fitting into the mold of what they expected. He's changing the way they ought to understand the thing that he's about. He reads all the setting of the free, the anoint, you know, pre giving good news to the poor and freeing prisoners and giving sight to those blind and releasing the oppressed. And what's really interesting is the people in the synagogue, they, they were anticipating and the day of vengeance of our God. And the day of vengeance wasn't like on them. It was on the outsiders. It was on the outsiders. And Jesus came to begin to bridge the gap between those who are in and out. Not only bridge the gap, but really like take down all of the walls that allowed for the who's in, who's out game to be played. And kind of like what's funny, there's this like meta narrative going on about who's fitting the mold and who's not fitting the mold. So Jesus turns up to this synagogue, to this religious gathering, reads the scroll, but leaves off the, the all important last line. And in doing so, he like exposes the hearts of the people in the synagogue. They stared at him in wonder he stared at him in, in wonder and like waiting. When is he going to drop the last line? And he doesn't. He sits down. And then we see their re reaction is they, they kind of, they ask him a few questions and he doesn't back down. He doesn't, he won't fit into their mold. And so what happens at the end of the story, it says all of the people of the synagogue were furious. They got up and drove Jesus out, out of the synagogue to the edge of town and took him to the brow of a cliff on which the town was built. They brought him there in order to throw him off the cliff. 
I mean, come on. <laughs> Have you ever f not fit the mold so much that people grabbed you by the shirt and dragged you up to the top of a cliff to chuck you off? I mean, maybe for some of us, it's, it's certainly felt like that. Jesus managed to, in the, in the fray of the crowd, uh, slip through and went on his way to the next town. He escapes. But the intention of the people of the synagogue were, were to kill this guy. And what happens here, the meta-narrative that's going on is that in Jesus not fitting the mold that they wanted him to fit into, he exposes them. He exposes their hearts that it's not about um, being generous to the poor. It's not about setting uh, prisoners free. It's not about giving sight to the blind and proclaiming favor to people to release the oppressed. That's not what they're about. And in doing that, Jesus is kind of pointing out that these people are the ones that are poor, right? Poor in, in spirit, perhaps, that they are not free, that their religion isn't setting them free, that maybe they don't have the sight that they think they have, and in fact, maybe they're a little bit blind, and, and that they are the ones that are being oppressed, even by their very belief and faith. It's fascinating how Jesus turns this whole thing on its head and he's rejected by his own hometown people. There's this great line in the story where it says, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? Like they knew him, right? They, they, isn't this Joseph's son, right? Aren't you, aren't you Phil's boy? What happened to you? Why are you doing this church thing? That's not the mold. You, that's not like the kid you were when you grew up. What do you mean you're doing this? Aren't you, aren't you Joseph's boy? Isn't this Joseph's boy? You don't fit the mold. You're a what? You don't fit the mold. And the responses can be twofold, right? Curiosity, intrigue, this leaning in, this tell me more. Or it can be an out-and-out out kind of rejection where people don't like what you're about. And I mean, that that's a story I think that we can all resonate with. People having anticipations, expectations about who we are, who we ought to be. And when we know who we are and we're committed to that and we start living that out, maybe we start speaking it out a little bit more publicly, right? This is Jesus coming back to his hometown, his home, the spiritual center of, of, his, of his hometown. And they say, hey, it's Joseph's boy. And then at the end of this quick exchange, he, they're, they're taking him up to the edge of the cliff to throw him off. He didn't fit the mold and that didn't sit well with them. And so... Yeah, sometimes I wonder, you know, even in my own experience within my own tradition, sometimes it feels like I don't fit the mold. And we just got to be honest that there can be a cost to that. There can be, there can be a cost to not fitting in, to not, um, you know, reading all of the lines that we've always read in the way that we've always read them. Jesus does something pretty radical. He, he censors, right? He leaves out a section. 
he selectively reads a section of the prophetic text, the scroll of Isaiah. He stopped before the line that finishes the thing and the day of vengeance of our Lord, not because he forgot, not by accident, but on purpose. He was communicating something new with what was very old. He was highlighting something that had been there the whole time, but we couldn't see because we were focused on the wrong thing. And this, this new take on an old thing uh, from this particular story is, uh, is sometimes referred to, I like to refer to it as the Nazareth Manifesto. So Nazareth is the town that Jesus was from that he came back to to, do, to read this, this part of the scroll in. And this Nazareth Manifesto is kind of this, it, it kickstarts what Jesus is about to do in his world. A manifesto is, uh, it's like a, a published declaration of your intention or your motives or views of the person issuing it, whether it's an individual or a group, you know, like political parties and governments have used them. But a manifesto usually um, accepts something that's like previously, it's a previously published opinion or a public consensus. Okay, so it's something that's preconceived, it's already out there, but it promotes a new idea with prescriptive notions for carrying out changes that the person speaking or writing this manifesto believes should be made. So they're saying this is the way it's always been, but this is how it's going to be now. This is what Jesus has done here at the beginning of his work, and it is what he continues to do. Some of his most famous words are in a, in a big talk, a big sermon he gave called the Sermon on the Mount, in which he says a number of times in a number of different ways, you have heard that it was said, conventional kind of traditional understanding and wisdom. He says, but now I say to you, new take, a new manifesto, taking something that was already established, ideas, beliefs that were already out there and changing them, tweaking them to create something new, not out of thin air, but based on what was and what now will be. And what a beautifully empowering thing to do. And I think that most of us, you know, even at a subconscious level, like we do this in our own lives. If you think about the person you were five or 10 years ago, I mean, fundamentally you, you are, we are all that same person. But most of us could say that we're radically different now than we were five or 10 years ago because we're, we're constantly growing and changing and tweaking and responding and discovering and living into who we are. And so we're not just static and stuck. We never arrive, right? Even, even when we transition to adulthood or whatever it might be, we don't just stop. There's this perpetual growth and expansion that continues, hopefully, and it's this building upon what always was, 
but perhaps in a new way and even in a way that seems perhaps opposite to some of the things you used to be or used to do, right? From the simplest things of like dietary habits, I used to eat a lot of meat, like all the meats, and now I eat none of the meats. And five years ago, Dean would have said, no way, meat is super tasty and I like it, end of story. And today I say, yeah, meat is super tasty, but it's terrible for our environment and might not even be the most healthy thing for you to eat and participate in this whole system. That's another podcast, I guess. But we all grow and change and kind of have these manifesto moments where we choose to stand outside of the mold and oftentimes it's people around us oftentimes it can be the people closest to us that want to keep us where we were and so we don't just break free and break relationship that is never something we should seek to do but we should choose to invite the people that we're in closest relationship along with us on this journey of transformation. And really that's what Jesus does in his hometown of Nazareth as he proclaims, delivers this manifesto. He is helping people see who he is, what he's about, what he will be about. And it's invitational. It's not exclusive. It's invitational, but he is not going to change who he is to fit the mold that they wanted him to be. And he continued to build upon this manifesto, this clarity on who he was, which by the way, the precursor to this story is, is him in the wilderness um, for 40 days, kind of on this spiritual pilgrimage, fasting and, and meditating and praying and, uh, understanding the challenges being shown kind of kind of getting this glimpse into the difficulty that lies ahead as he lives into who he is meant to be so there's preparation that goes into this there's there's a cost that goes into this but there's an awareness that you're committing to who you are not in a static kind of you know, this is, this is it. And, and at arms crossed, you know, feet in the sand, this is me come hell or high water, but, but, uh, just a deep sense of knowledge about who you are meant to be, who you are called to be. What are you on earth to do? If you don't know what those things are, if those feel way too profound or out there for you, Maybe the work isn't defying the people around you. Maybe the work isn't, you know, saying or doing the thing that's going to get you marched up to the edge of the cliff because you've pissed off everyone around you. You can't do that. You can't, you can't defy the crowd. You can't defy your hometown, your family, until you've done the work of finding out who you are, right? The 40 days of fasting and meditation and prayer, and seeking, and the interior work, the deep soul work that was done prior to this moment 
is crucial. It's a journey to even get to the start of the journey. So maybe that's where we need to start. Maybe that's where we need to to go back to even, right? Maybe we've been there. Maybe we've done that work and we're ready to to stand up and, and issue our manifesto. And then maybe, you know, sometime after that, we still, we still need to return to the wilderness. We still need to return to that quiet place where we can do the interior work and be challenged and challenge ourselves and be open to learn and grow and to be shaped. Yeah. It's a posture of, of openness. It's a posture of really surrender and vulnerability that in its truest form, emerges as power. Um, And not the kind of power that seeks to enforce or uh, dominate or domineer, but rather a power that can only come through this kind of subversive, submissive, vulnerable act of surrender. So we need to often let go of the things even the, the the vision or the picture of the person we we think we ought to be and allow ourselves to be shaped through times of wilderness and testing and even trial yeah before we can just go on and, and defy and and be the bold manifesto declaring individual <laughs> who causes trouble in the hometown that's not the point so i would go so far to say that if if uh if that's what gets you fired up, wanting to wanting to cause the trouble, you're still raging against the machine, so to speak, that you need to go back to the drawing board because that wasn't the intention or the purpose that Jesus was doing. And, and I think that uh, causing trouble for trouble's sake is is missing the mark. That's not That's not what we should be doing in the world. We should stand for things. We should not just conform to the mold when we know that that's not who we are. But if we go in there kicking and screaming, I think we haven't done the proper interior work yet. Yeah, I'm still working on it. So when people ask me, wait, you're a what? You're a, you're a pastor? All of this kind of plays back. You know, the tape rolls and I think, okay, what do I need to say to declare who I am, to not fit into molds? you know, that people want me to be or expect me to be, but to show them, you know, to give them my manifesto. I'm just here to, to share, to share good news, to, to give and speak freedom, to, to offer sight, you know, where maybe we couldn't see things so clearly before, um, to release people from oppression and just to proclaim, you know, God's love, God's favor uh, in the world for, for all people. It's just such an exciting story and narrative, and I'm committed to that. That's what I saw Jesus do, and that's what I, I try to do every day, is just to live into that, that wonderful story of uh, freedom and sight and lightness and goodness in this world. Man, Lord knows we need it. Hey, wherever you are, I hope you're well. We'll chat again soon. Peace. Peace.